In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me. Mary, how are you? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing today? I am doing lovely. Life is beautiful. You have such a remarkable story, and I cannot wait to get into that and hear all about you and your awesomeness, your organization, and what you're up to in the world, and just how you're changing lives left and right. So I'm just super excited to have you here today, Mary. And of course, I start off with the most loaded question of all time of what inspired you on your journey to where you are today? Woo wait, what inspired me? The fact that I knew I wasn't the only one dealing with what I was dealing with. Mm. That literally became my inspiration from the very beginning. I knew I wasn't the only one and someone had to do something. And so I became that someone. And I know you've told me the story. It's remarkable. Can you walk me through your journey a little bit? I'll tell you. My youngest son, Jerry, who we call BJ, he and I were wrestling when he was like 13, 14 years old. And he accidentally elbowed me in the chest. And it was in my right breast. And when he elbowed me, it hurt. And I was like, man, this like really, really hurts. So I ended up going to the emergency room and the, you know, the ER doctor was like, I think I feel something, but I'm not sure. So he had me go get a mammogram because I was only 38 years old. So I hadn't reached that age of 40 to go get a, you know, actually get a test. So I went and got the mammogram done. And when they did it, they, you know, it was like, oh, we think we see, we see something. And then we want to get a measurement and then we need to biopsy it just to be sure. And so what they saw was a mass that was almost five centimeters. If you can imagine a softball and how the center of it is really hard, but you can't feel the center. And like, unless you dug down into it, that's the way the mass was. It was literally in the center of my breast. You couldn't feel it unless you dug down into it. So when they squished me, that's when they saw it. And so they did it and you know, they took the, did the biopsy and ended up being stage three, almost stage four invasive ductal carcinoma, triple negative. And that meant my only options were aggressive chemo, surgery, and then radiation. And so they wanted me to have my right breast removed right away. But I was like, I can't do that because I kind of love my girl. Um, so I just want to keep her as long as I can. I mean, like, if she's got to go, let me hold on to her at least as long as I can. Let's try to do something. And so we postponed my surgery and I started aggressive chemo. While I was going through the chemo, you know, after the first treatment, I was incredibly sick. But I was like, you know what? I can still make it because I am strong. I'm, you know, I'm a superwoman. I can make it. I can do it. And I was still trying to go to work, but I was throwing up at work. There were a couple of times when my employer found me curled up in the bathroom on the floor. Uh, and it was just like, oh man, I still got bills to pay because I'm a single parent. And, you know, if I don't go to work, how am I going to pay the bills? And, you know, by the time the second chemo treatment rolled around, my employer was like, Mary, we need to talk because- you know, you're, you're, you're not feeling well and spend a lot of time in the bathroom. And so maybe it would be better if you just focused on recovering. And I was like, I understand. And they're like, so, you know, so today's your last day. And I was like, okay, I don't know why I thought that 
you know, they were going to still pay me, but I didn't connect the dots Mm. that I was being let go, meaning fired and wouldn't have a paycheck. And so as time went on, you know, the rolled into the month rolled around and it was time, you know, bills were going to come due. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And so, you know, at the time I was, I was starting to volunteer with the Coleman foundation. Cause I was like, okay, I'm a breast cancer survivor, breast cancer. I was all about the race for the cure pink ribbon. Woo Coleman foundation. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to volunteer with them and I learned about them. And so when the time came that I needed financial assistance, I went to them and asked them for help. And that's when I learned that, you know, they didn't use the resources that they raised to help in the way that I needed help, that it funded research, treatment, and awareness, which are great, but I needed help with the rent, the electric, the gas, the water, the car note, the car insurance, cell phone bill, the cable bill, buying food. That's what I needed help with. And that's just something that they didn't provide. And it was like, wow, so where does a person go to? And that sent me on a journey from the American Cancer Society to Live Strong to the different places, just trying to find help. And I couldn't find the help that I needed. I mean, I even went and applied for unemployment. I couldn't get unemployment because I hadn't been unemployed long enough. So it was like, oh man, what am I going to do? So I went to church. And, you know, a lot of times people say when they're in trouble, they turn to God. Well, I'm always turning to God because I'm in ministry. But this time I was turning to God on a whole different scale because I couldn't understand how I was getting ready to lose everything. And so I was having a heated conversation with God and the leadership team in the the back of the church overheard. And my pastor came out and was like, MJ, what's going on? So I explained the situation and they're like, you know what? You've been a member in good standing. You know, you're a tither. You love the ministry. The ministry loves you. You volunteer. How about we let the church take care of your bills for you the rest of the time that you're in treatment. Mm. And I was like, that is such a blessing. Oh, thank you. So I'm boohoo crying like, oh my God, thank you so much. But what about everybody else? What about the other breast cancer patients that are going through the same thing? What about them? Who's going to help them? Mm. And they didn't have an answer for that. But I was like, somebody's got to let people know where money does and doesn't go. And what this huge gap is, somebody's got to be the one to let people know. And they're like, right, you're right. Somebody, Mary. And then it's like, oh, 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 you mean me? Oh, not me. You know, not me. And sure enough, it became me. And I started telling people where money did and didn't go. And people are like, I had no idea. I had no idea. I thought that when we give to like St. Jude, I thought that that money went to actually help the families. Like, oh, it does, but it helps them in a different way because it helps them, the kids to get treatment at no cost, but it doesn't go towards electric gas, things of that nature at home. And just being able to educate people. They were like, well, I want to give money to you. And I was like, absolutely. We'll take the donations. Thank you. And I said, because my church is paying my bills for me. So, you know, I'll take it and find someone else to give it to. Mm. And that's what I would do. I was receiving donations and was giving them to other people. And it just has been absolutely amazing because I had no idea how huge the need is. I had no idea what I was creating at the time. And, you know, 15 years later, (laughs) I'm still doing it. So, So, yeah. Oh my goodness. What a beautiful journey. What a beautiful journey that it's been for you. And I mean, I just love your selflessness of like, when you were getting that love, you're like, okay, how do I give that to somebody else now? You know, you have such a special spirit and just, you know, for your servitude to others, which I find just, I just admire so much. And I love, 
so, so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. And, and so how did you go about like creating the, the organization? Cause you know, now I'm sure you started getting a lot of donations and you're like, and, and a lot of need, I know. I tell you, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I used to hear things like you got to have an elevator pitch. And I was like, what's that? I was working in a call center type environment. I was answering phones, making phone calls. I wasn't trying to run a business. And so it was like, all I knew is that I had this money. And when I would go to treatment, I would hear other people, you know, people were talking about the problems that they had. And so I would just give them money, you know, why not? Because I got it. It's supposed to be for them. So let me help them out. And this one section I knew there was a woman and she was having chemo treatment and her husband, well, the, it was a man that was knelt down beside her. And I'm looking at this couple and I'm seeing him crying. I mean, he's bawling his eyes out. And I'm like, this is kind of odd, but let me pay attention. So when I finished my chemo, they unhooked me and, you know, I sashayed over to introduce myself because, you know, I'm just that friendly person. And was like, hi, you know, I just seen you crying and I'm so sorry, but I'm sure it's going to be okay. Cause you know, God's got you. And <laughs> the gentleman was like, well, yeah, but you know, it's just so hard. It's so difficult. And I said, what's wrong? And then he explained to me that his wife, almost an allergic reaction to the chemo. Uh -huh. And so what they would do normally is after she'd be done treatment, they would stay overnight and then leave the next day. And this time they didn't have any money. So he didn't have any money to pay for a hotel room and he couldn't, like there was nobody that was willing to give them a hotel room at no cost. So he had just got done telling his wife that he was sorry for not being able to take care of her and that they were gonna have to sleep in the car overnight. So of course, you know, <laughs> here you go here. And so I reached in my purse because I just, the money that people gave me, I would just carry around. <laughs> I just reached in my purse and I was like, here you go. God bless you. And you know, gave them, I gave him a hug and he was like, oh my God. Oh my God. And when I walked away, I was like, I could do this for the rest of my life. I could. And I had no idea what I was saying, <laughs> but I was like, I don't know how to do it, but I'm, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, I, I went and I found an elevator to practice the elevator pitch or elevator speech. Cause it was like, okay, supposed to do able to do it between floors. And so I was riding the elevator up and down just so I can figure out what I was going to say. And this guy got on the elevator and he was, you know, he heard me. He was like, what, what you do what? And I'm like, I don't remember. I wasn't really paying attention. I was just talking and he gave me his business card. And he ended up actually being vice president of a foundation. And he was like, when you guys, you know, get it together, let's talk, let's talk. And so I went home, you know, cause he was like, are you guys a 501c3? And I was like, I don't know what that is. Cause I'm like, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know. Right. And so I went home and I looked it up, you know, okay, 501c3. All right. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm about to apply for this thing so that I can get big dollars and people can get tax breaks and all that. I'm, I'm about to do all this and do it all. And so it has literally been a, a lot of prayer and like, okay, well, this is what needs to happen next. Okay. Well, this is what needs to happen next. And it has been an absolutely incredible journey because for us to be, to first have gone from being just an idea that a woman had while going through treatment to being 15 years old and to have provided services literally around the world. It, I, you couldn't have told me that was going to be my story. That's unreal. That's unreal. And so 15 years in, and do you have stats on like how many people that you've, that you've served throughout the years? Oh gosh. So we have three programs. Our goal, so our mission is 
to help cancer patients succeed on their road to recovery through awareness, emotional support, and financial assistance. So between awareness and emotional support, it has been well over a million people that we have spoken with through the years. When it comes down to, I mean, financial assistance, we've raised over 500,000 and we've provided services in all 50 states. Um, we have contacts with organizations in other countries. First time we went international, it was crazy because here's what happened. We were providing services to just breast cancer patients. And then when we were four months old, we got a referral of a woman that had cervical cancer. And I told her we couldn't help her because she had the wrong type of cancer which is crazy. And it was like, what's the right type of cancer? There's no daggone right type of cancer. So mm -hmm. I'm, I done missed it, man. We need to change our mission, include all cancers. So I talked to my board and explained that. And they were like, you know what, Mary, you're right. And I was like, right. In my mind, I meant in Columbus, Ohio, but we didn't say that. And so we were like, we're just gonna change our mission to include all cancer patients. And then they started coming from Cincinnati and Toledo and Cleveland. And I was like, okay. I can't say they have to be living in Columbus, so we'll figure it out. And then they started coming from Georgia and Texas and New York and Michigan and California. And I was like, okay, I can't say you have to be from Ohio. So we'll, we get to figure it out. We're well able. And when we, before we were a year old, we got our first application from Collingswood, Ontario, Canada. And I was like, oh my God, we are international. What in the world? And then from there through the years, we've gotten them from Mexico, from England, from Oh my God, Turkey, from Germany, from Australia, from India, from Ghana, from uh, South Africa. I mean, it's just been so many. And we're like, what in the world? Us? Little old us. Little old us. Like, and we don't have like millions of dollars yet, but we are doing it because we get referrals from the American Cancer Society. We get them from Komen. We get them from Livestrong. We get them from the MD Anderson, your major hospitals. We get them from St. Jude. I mean, we get them from the Veterans Administration. And we're like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. How did all these people find out about us? <laughs> like, when did that happen? But people are finding out about us from everywhere. And we're like, okay, okay. The demands for our services are getting greater which means we just need greater support. We just do. And, you know, pandemic hit us last year, which whew, some organizations didn't make it through last year, but I am thankful that we did. That's incredible. What a journey of it just like exploding to an international level, completely unintendedly. And because it was just like your heart and your spirit. Oh my gosh, Mary, I'm curious. So I really want to ask you this. What did you want to be when you grew up as a kid? <laughs> Would you okay, I'm gonna tell you. So when I was little, I wanted to be a mortician. And the reason, I'm gonna tell you why. I wanted to be a mortician so that I wouldn't have to talk to people because I didn't like to talk in front of people. <laughs> I wanted to be someplace where I could just be in silence and do what I have to do. So I wanted to be a mortician. Really? <laughs> yes. So yes. funny. And right. Because you're, you're so open and outgoing. That's hysterical. That's hysterical. Yes. Yes. And, I, and, and, and I know, I mean, there, there's definitely people listening or, you know, that either are experiencing this or have other people that are experiencing this around them that they know of or family members, loved ones, what have you. And, you know, that, that whole, the, the word cancer has hit all of us some way, somehow, some it, way, somehow. And a lot of the time it's within our own families, you know, just, I mean, the numbers are, are insane. Yes. Insane. And, you know, when you first got diagnosed to with breast cancer, 
how did you sort of cope with that? And how did you sort of overcome that to have such a warrior mentality? Because I think that that's so, it's so key, right? Anybody who gets some type of news of any type of disease, right? You know, it's almost, I think there's two options. You can either shut down or keep going. And, you know, and so I'm always interested to know you, how did you overcome that, that barrier? So as I should, I've been in ministry for 30 years. And, you know, I'm always paying attention to like the stories of the people back when and all the stuff they did. And there is a gentleman, Smith Wigglesworth, and, you know, he was known, you know, in the faith community to be like a general of faith. And I was like, I'm trying to have faith like that. And mm-hmm. so when it happened to me, when I got diagnosed with cancer, I had no idea that there were going to be people that were watching the way that I would respond. And so I was like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to exercise my faith. So, I mean, I, that was literally, I'm like, I'm just, my whole mind, my mindset shifted to, I'm about to exercise my faith. I am going to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to speak faith. I'm going to talk faith, no matter what I'm going through. I'm going to encourage people. I'm going to let the love of God show through me, even in the midst of everything that I'm dealing with. Had no idea that it would literally change the world. It literally is. And that's why I was asking, I'm like, why did she, you know, like throughout this experience, you've just held your head so high. And it's just, it's so remarkable how you just selflessly just give it and that you give it all to God too. You literally give and you give it all to God too. And I'm just like, I just admire that so much because it takes so much heart to do that. And especially in the most difficult times, that's how you can really determine character, right? Yes. How do you respond to the most difficult yes. times. And then, yes. and then just even in your response to when you were being given, how you automatically just wanted to give that right back. You yeah, because it's like so many times we, we think about, you know, we think about just ourselves. Like, oh my God, what was me? This is what I'm dealing with. Oh, there's nobody else dealing with it. And I was like, no, I know for a fact that I'm not the only one. <laughs> right. I was like, I know I'm not the only one. This doesn't make any sense to me how there's millions and millions and millions of dollars that's raised. And how come people are having, how come people are having to make this decision? And what made it even so bad, I wasn't even, I didn't even understand the magnitude of it then, because then I was just thinking about breast cancer patients. I I didn't, I didn't even, the other cancers, prostate cancer, colon cancer, uh, ovarian cancer, the childhood cancers, leukemia, um, lymphoma, you know, gilomas, which is brain cancer. I was like, I didn't even know, wasn't even thinking about, I was just breast cancer. They were talking about cutting off my girl. And, you know, they told me that I'd be lucky if I survived five years. That's all I was thinking about. I had no idea. And then to find out and have it unveil, because, I mean, I mean, think about this. Single parent, child gets diagnosed with cancer. Child gets put in the hospital for treatment. Where's parent going to be? The parent shouldn't have to make a decision between do I go to work or do I be at the hospital? And the reality is there are people who have children battling cancer right now that are making a decision that they are leaving their child at the hospital to go to work because they don't have somebody that can be there. They don't have some, they don't know about us yet. And it's like, oh man, and that's real. Or, you know, what about if it's single parent and the parent gets diagnosed with cancer and can't go to work and they have kids like me, right. you know, when I went through it. That's real. And then you figure that there are some, you know, say you have a mom and dad household, dad and dad's the breadwinner. You know, he's done with be the man in the house and provider, you know, and then he gets diagnosed with cancer. And we literally have had men that have gotten diagnosed with cancer and literally considered 
not going through treatment because that meant they'd have to take off work and they wouldn't be able to provide for their family. And I was like, you realize that if you do not go through this treatment, there is a strong chance that you will die. And they're like, I know, but I can't let my family suffer. Mm. And there's, I mean, that's to me, that, that just floors me all the time when I hear the different stories. I'm like, man, there was a 19 year old girl from Florida. I mean, I get emotional. I remember when she applied, she, you know, we had changed everything to be able to apply online, 19 years old. She applied and she wanted to know if we would help her parents pay her bills because she had terminal cancer. She was asking if after she died, would we help her, her parents, so that they would not have to suffer? You talk about messed up. I was completely messed up for a few days because I was like, this baby is battling cancer and asking if we will help her parents pay their bills after she dies. That's unheard of, but that's real. That's real. And though, I mean, that's, that's just one of, there's so, so many, there are so many stories. If I just wrote, I could write a book on this different stories of people that we have helped, you know, and some of them have been the hard stories, but then there have been the stories of, you know, young boy, he was diagnosed when he was nine with osteosarcoma. He got his leg amputated. He ended up passing away, but I had the chance to speak with his parents about what could be a possible legacy for their son, because I was like, who better to help encourage other parents whose child has that type of cancer than parents that have gone through it. And so, you know, we had that conversation. They went on to create a foundation that provides awareness, emotional support, and financial assistance to families who who have a child that deals with that particular cancer. That was a blessing in itself. So it hasn't always been, I mean, it's always hard, but there's some, you know, rainbows and stars that come out of it too. So. Wow. Oh my gosh, Mary, that's, that's remarkable. That's remarkable. And, and I mean, just your impact just from, even just from day one and then stretching out. I mean, I, I, I still can't get past the fact that somebody who is battling something terminal and is thinking about the bills and, and again, being selfless and thinking about their family, like that just, that blows my mind. But what's really key is what you've been able to do throughout the years and how you've taken your, your concept and you've affected so many people, over 1 million people helped that would have never gotten that help had it not been for you. So, you know, over a million people have like, because we have the privilege of spreading the word and awareness is awareness is so important. And so educating people about where money does and doesn't go in the importance of seeking treatment early and not self-diagnosing, those are key. And to, you know, to be able to say, you know, over a million people have heard my voice. They have, I know they have, and it's probably over with probably way more than that, Um, you know, through podcasts and just, you know, interviews and things like that. That's a blessing in itself. And then to provide emotional support. So I do a lot of praying for people because, you know, I'm parts of groups on, on Facebook and other social media platforms. And there are people that are battling cancer that, you know, they are battling or they have battled. They had a family member that battled. And we're just having that conversation and being able to give them a ray of hope to know that, you know, it's like, oh, and so for me, like the word hope stands for, to me, helping out people everywhere. So I'm like, I'm trying to give hope to everyone. So I'm trying to help out people everywhere. And then, you know, we have a care center, which I'm big on acronyms. So we have our care center and the word care stands for creating amazing recovery experiences. So we want people to not just 
you know, oh, I just survived cancer. We want them to overcome cancer. And there's a difference between surviving and overcoming. And mm-hmm. a lot of times people don't know that either. It's like, okay, if you're in a car accident and you break your neck you, and you live, you survive. And they say, you're never going to be able to walk again, but you fight through that and you get to where you can walk again. You didn't just survive. Heck, you overcame that and you got a story to tell. And you know, and that's how we want people to feel when it comes to cancer. Yeah. Because you never know how strong you really are until you're on the other side of that adversity. Absolutely. And, and now in building this organization and just this mission, because I think it's more of a mission than it is any type of organization, business or, or anything else, really, what have been some of your biggest lessons, Mary, in this whole thing, you know, <laughs> on, on what you've, what you've learned and, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. I would say my number one biggest lesson is keep telling my story because there's somebody out there that needs to hear it. There's somebody, I don't know who, I don't know when, I just know that there's somebody that needs to hear it. And then, you know, after that, in the midst of the storms, stay in front of the wave, always be willing to shift, you know, pandemic hit us all. And, you know, the organization as well, because we weren't able to go out and fundraise the way we normally do. And we're like, okay, well, we get to shift. We get to ride the wave, stay in front of the wave. Don't let the wave overtake you. You know, just like on a surfboard, you got to ride the wave. And it's like, how can you flex? Like, that's me riding. (laughs) And so I tell people, like, you got to stay in front of the wave. Got to. You got to always tell your story and stay in front of the wave. Got to. Got to. And then never give up. Never give up. I love that, Mary. I love that. I mean, you just. Oh man, I'm just, I'm just so excited to see you continue to grow this organization. Just take it to, take it to the next level because you're going to help millions more. That's that's without a doubt. That's without a doubt. And that is the plan. <laughs> absolutely. And I mean, how have you been able to balance all this throughout the years? I mean, this is it's all. I mean, it seems like it just went exponentially. You know, how it did. art of balance in, in your life with all this. Well, see, and you know, when when people really you know get to know me, they're like, wait a minute. So you had cancer in 2006, and then you had reconstruction surgery in 2012. So for six years, you did not have reconstruction. I was like, I couldn't because I was focused on building the organization. I was focused on getting the word out there because there were people that were battling cancer whose lights were going to get cut off that didn't care whether or not I had, you know, cancer didn't care if I had reconstruction or not. I will go, I will wear a prosthetic. I will, you know, figure out how to make sure it doesn't move. So that way when I jump, I won't be lopsided. You know, I will figure out all that stuff, but I'm going to focus on that. So six, six years after starting the organization, I had reconstruction surgery. That was a traumatic experience because unfortunately I had a tram flap with a tummy tuck and the, and the flap failed, almost killed me. I got put in a nursing home for six months. And so for six months, I'm in a nursing home fighting for my life still building the organization. So, cause I had my assistant bring me my laptop. Um, and I was like, if I, as long as I have my laptop, I can work <laughs> from the hospital bed. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And that was in 2012, but then that wasn't the end of it. So I get out of the hospital um, in 2012, of course, trying to get my life back right. The lady that was helping me, she ends up passing away of cancer. And I'm like, oh my God, she had the same type of cancer that I had. I lived, unfortunately, her journey was less. So I was like, I don't know how I can continue. So I had a little breakdown there, but I was like, cancer don't care if I have a breakdown. I still got to do what I got to do. There's people battling cancer that need bills paid. So I got to push through it. 
And then in 2015, there was a lady that called. I'll never forget this woman. She called and she was complaining because she had been in remission for 10 years and cancer came back. And so she was calling, trying to get some help. And she had found this one little place in her city that would offer, you know, limited financial assistance, like up to $500. And they were saying that they, that she couldn't apply again because you could only apply once in your life. And here she was being re-diagnosed, you know, she got re-diagnosed and she was calling upset because she couldn't understand how come all these millions of dollars and she needed help and she couldn't find help. So after she got done venting, I was like, well, ma'am, we don't care how many times you've battled cancer. Um, we just care that you're in treatment and you have a need. And then she was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And I was like, oh, you're a believer. Let's have a different kind of conversation. Oh, ye of little faith, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Let's let's get that there right. And you know, let's, you know, there's a scripture, Romans 8, 28, that says all things work together for good for those who love God are called according to his purpose. So that means that there's something good that gets to come out of it. She was like, oh, okay. And then she asked me, how many times had I battled cancer? And I told her just once. And so she said, You don't know what it's like to have cancer, you know, come back after it's been in remission. And I said, No, I don't. She said, Okay. All right, well, God bless you. And she hung up the phone. And I was like, man, I really don't know what it's like to, you know, have battled cancer more than once. How am I really going to be able to encourage people to trust in God How or to have faith? How am I really going to encourage them that they can make it in spite of what they're going through when I've never battled more than once? Seven days later, I was diagnosed a second time. And I was like, really? I couldn't get the cliff note version, <laughs> you know, <laughs> could not. <laughs> And it was crazy. And so I went through that and post doing that, I ended up, I went through aggressive chemo treatment. I did, oh God, I did like eight months of chemo in three and a half months and it just messed me up. And I ended up with heart failure and diabetic ketoacidosis and diabetes. So I still have health challenges, but I'm like, it doesn't even matter because I truly believe that I am on an assignment and I'm going to be here until God says, he, he's come on home. And so the only thing that I can do is truly leave a legacy and hope that somebody is inspired by my life. You are incredible, Mary. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And just the way that you just continue with your resilience and just you know, put on right a smile. It's just, it's, it's so beautiful. And I mean, throughout this journey and it's been, I know it's been a challenging one, you know, what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? Whew. My older self would tell my younger self based off what I know, like, girl, you don't know how awesome you really are. <laughs> you have no idea how strong and how strong and how much you have to give. There's so much on the inside of you that gets to come out and just make it through this situation. Just keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing. Trust me, there's something on the other side of what you're dealing with. That's what I would tell myself. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. And now, Mary, in your organization, what, what's coming up in the next like six to 12 months? What are you guys working on? Like, what, what's new? What are the goals, mission? Post pandemics, so we've got like, how did we shift with pandemic? So all of our, the ways in which we normally would fundraise in 2020 canceled. So we were like, okay, whew, we still get to be creative. So what we did was we created a challenge called the Five Alive Challenge. And with the Five Alive Challenge, we're like, okay, we can get people to just donate five or more dollars, ask two people to do the same thing, and then share, 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 and make it go viral. That can happen. So we said, we introduced the challenge last year, and that's been going strong. So this year, we're like, we're trying, we want 10,000 people 
to commit to making a $5 donation every month. That's not a lot. It's like $5, that's a cup of coffee. Or if you eat at McDonald's, that's a, what, a number one? It's not a lot. But if you have a lot of people doing a little bit, it can be a lot. And people are like, well, why wouldn't you rather have you know that, that person that can just write you the check? Well, here's my belief. If I have one person that writes me a check for $50,000, what if they can't do that next month? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Versus having 10,000 people that give five. And then if one of them falls off, then I still have $9,995 coming in, (laughs) you know, or 49,000. So it's like, okay, what do you do? And so I am a firm believer in having, you know, a bunch of people support the cause. And then we have a whole, like, we got so much stuff ahead so much because we want to make certain that we are the place for people to come to. And it's not just to come to to get support. We want to make certain that they know they have a partner in their journey. And then there's a lot of places that provide resources. You know, oh, we pro- you know, contact us. We can provide you with resources. We don't want to just provide them with resources. Like here's a packet of information and take it and go look and see what you might be eligible for. We're going to know exactly what a person's eligible for. And mm-hmm. then we're going to connect them to it intentionally. And then if there, if by some chance somebody has a need that we just can't find somebody that can, you know, that we can partner with to cover that need, we will have the funds to be able to take care of it internally. We are getting the job done for real. Oh my gosh. It sounds like 2021 is the year. How incredible, Mary. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's amazing. I just, I love your journey. I love your authenticity, the organization, just everything about you is just incredible. And I know you're going to smash those goals. You're going to smash all of them and it's going to, you're going to just continue to rise higher and higher and higher. But now you, you thank you. Of course. Thank you. And now you got to let any, everyone know like where to find you, your organization, how they can give all of that for sure. Well, you can find me (laughs) anywhere. I'm on, I'm on everything. I'm on clubhouse. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. What am I? I'm on Instagram and I'm really me like for real. If you look up Mary Jenkins, you're going to find like, there's no extra name or anything like that. You really do find me. And then the organization as well. So there's a, there's a, the COC page for the organization on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. I mean, we're, it, we're just really us. You find you could always go to our website, which is www.thecocares.org, the cocares.org. And so we can be found that way. I'm trying to think, we, you know, any kind of way. Call us, feel free to call us, 614-212-4131. If you know someone that's battling cancer though, for real, send them to our website. It's our honor and our assignment to be able to be the hope that people battling cancer need. And so definitely you want to, if you want to make that donation at the end of the year for tax benefits, because we're tax exempt organization, send it our way. Cash app, we're on cash app, um, Venmo, we have PayPal. I mean, we got it all, the COC, we got it all because we want to, we want to not have any reason why somebody says, well, I would give, but I can't. Because at one time we were cash only. And then people were like, oh, I've got a credit card. Like, okay, uh, okay we going to have a credit card. And then we got the credit card. And then they're like, oh, I have cash app. I'm like, oh my God, what is cash app? I'm like, okay, I'll get cash app. They're like, I don't have cash app. I use Venmo. Oh my God. And then somebody was like, what about Zelle? And I'm like, look, I, we have everything you can come up with. <laughs> Mary, thank everything. You so, so much. I'm, I, it was such an honor to have you. 
here today. It was really, really incredible. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. And you're welcome. Absolutely incredible. And I admire you so much. So thank you so much for being here today. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode. <laughs>